0: So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others thank you Nathan well good morning again don't you love this fall weather I love this love this kind of weather love this time of year Uh, there are many places that you could be this morning you could be looking at the the fall colors in the mountains you could be at a boat show or something like that God has brought you to this place at this time and it's not an accident it's not an accident he has you here for a purpose and I'm glad you're a part of of what he's doing here on this morning I want to welcome you also if you're, you're listening in or watching on online. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you would open up our hearts and that you would transform us by your gospel. Lord, we need transformation. Lord, you're so kind, so very kind to pursue us and bring us to, to your way of, of thinking and loving and living. Father, bring us into a greater understanding of who you are in us and who we are in you and how you call us to live out that faith. Father, this morning I pray as, as I preach your word, Lord, that I would decrease and you would increase. Lord, that you would be honored and glorified in this place on this day in Jesus. Amen. Amen. Tim Keller said that this passage is, the, um, is one of the two highest peaks in all of scripture that if scripture is a mountain range then this is one of the two or three highest peaks in that mountain range and it's not just killer I've I've seen the same thing from other writers and theologians what what makes it so grand well we'll unpack that as we go forward one of the things that we're going to see is that um, in in this place we see Jesus just really described in beautiful ways uh, as the what we might call the indicative and then there's the imperative the indicative. That Jesus Christ, who though he was in the very form of God, did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. We see that, that, we see that picture of Jesus Christ, and we stand in awe of that. But that's a description to help us understand what, what Paul means when he says, have this mind in yourself, have this mind, this mind of Jesus Christ, because he gives us his imperative first. And in that imperative, in verses 1 through 4, he gives us three characteristics that that he wants us to have. Characteristic of unity, humility, and servanthood. And why? Because those things are what we see in Jesus Christ, and Christ is in you. Therefore, live out this, this life. If you're in Christ, live out this life. But that's a high challenge, isn't it? It's a high challenge. It's a high, high, high peak. Because humility, servanthood, and unity, they fly in the face. Of our culture, our our culture holds up three main idols: power, fame, and pleasure. Power, fame, and pleasure, and and they work their way into the church as well. We're not immune from that. They they, they impact us also. Power, fame, and pleasure, and unity, humility, and servanthood just really they slap right up against that. And the and the two uh, extremes have have nothing in common. Jesus takes us to this place through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, on how we are to live out. Those, those three things. It reminds me of a, a time when I was on a hike in the French Alps. We were uh, east of Chamrousse. Chamrousse is kind of in the, the southeastern part of France, close to Grenoble, where they had the Olympics several years ago, and Chamrousse is where they had some of the skiing uh, events. And then we were, we were east of that, higher, higher up above the tree line. And it was October, it was cold. <laughs> it's cold when you get that high up Uh, there was snow in parts of the ground but since in a lot of the places the wind had swept the snow from the bare rocks and we're climbing we're climbing we're climbing I'm wondering if we're ever going to get to the top of this peak we finally get to the top of this peak and and the guy that that was taking us on this hike said well this is it this is where we are and my friend Jeff my partner in ministry looks at a higher peak over here and he says what about that peak can't we go to that one and I'm looking at that peak and I'm going no way (laughs) I'm not going there i'm done and, and and just said but we got to go and the, the our, our guide and, and friend that took us said that's not a good idea look at the path look at the route to get to that peak and i looked at the route and i turned back because the, the route from this peak to that peak it's probably probably a half mile long and, and it was a a path that was maybe six inches wide maybe a foot wide and that's it And on either side of that, it fell fell away like this for hundreds, maybe a a couple thousand feet. And and it was a slope like this. So if you made a a, a misstep, you're going down and you're not stopping until you get to the bottom. And as awesome as the view might have been from that peak up there, I'm thinking, there's no way I will accept that challenge. Well, my, my friend Jeff took off anyway and and I stayed back with the guy and the rest of our party as we watched him go, planning his funeral. Well, he, he made it back safely and mocked the rest of us for the rest of the weekend. Sometimes we look at these challenges in this passage and we think there's, there's no way I'm not going there. And it's not just the three character qualities of, of unity, humility, and servanthood. We look at this picture of Jesus Christ as a guy uh, that is fully God and yet fully man. And they became obedient even unto death on a cross. And we think, I can't understand that. That's too lofty for me. Therefore, I'm not even going to try to enter in, because if I, if I try to enter into understanding that, then, I, then I'm going to have to fall in line with the unity and humility and servanthood as well. Well, God calls us to both places. He calls us to understand who we are in Christ and who He is in us. And then he calls us that because of who He is in us, this is how He calls us to live. So let, let's dive into these, these three characteristics that we see so prominent here that are on that highest peak. The first is, is unity. And he, he calls us in, in verse two, He says, "Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one of one mind." Man, that's a mouthful, right? complete my joy. How how does that complete Paul's joy? It completes Paul's joy because when the church looks like that, then the church looks like Christ. And it is Paul's desire that the church look like Christ. Because Paul knows that's where we're going to have the greatest joy. Paul knows that's where God is going to be the most glorified. Paul knows that that's what we're designed for. We're designed to look like Christ. And Paul wants us to live within that divine design that God has given to us. So we're we're called to have that that same mind. Notice he doesn't he, he doesn't stop short. He goes all the way with it. Have the same mind, same love, full accord of one mind. Folks, that's unity. It's not halfway. It's not, we'll be unified here, but but not here. Same mind, same love full accord, one mind, where's the gap in that? There is no gap in that. It's hard, but it's where he's called us to go. He doesn't call us to, to have the same unity of preference. That's not what he's doing. It's not unity of preference. Some of you uh, prefer power boats. Some prefer sailing. Some prefer lacrosse over football. I don't know why. Some prefer the Baltimore Orioles over the Atlanta Braves. I really don't know why. You know, but I've got my friend Owen prefers the Los Angeles Dodgers, and I prefer the Atlanta Braves. We're having fun with that right now. He's going to lose. You know, some preferences are meant to go down. We, we have lots of preferences. God is not saying we want, that he wants us to have the same preferences, not outside the church, not even inside the church. He's not saying, I want you to have the same preferences in music even. Not at all. He's made every one of us different, creating the image of God, the Imago Dei, but different with different personalities, different preferences. That's good. It's like a sunset. It provides the different colors and the different different shades of of blue and purple and orange and pink that only the artist God can create. God called us and designed us to have different preferences, But those preferences have to take a back seat to unity in theology, to unity in an understanding of the gospel, and to unity in the mission of Jesus Christ. You don't know my preferences in musical genre, and I'm not going to tell you. Because my preferences in musical genre always take a back seat to unity in theology, to unity in the gospel. And to unity in the mission of Jesus Christ, our preferences have to be superseded by those things that are greater and that are eternal and that are from God. When we place our preferences above Jesus and His mission, we're forgetting or ignoring four critical truths. We're forgetting or ignoring that God is God and we are not. We're not God. Now, we would all nod and say, of course we're not God. And yet there's something inside each one of us that in great ways or small, we want to be God and we act like God. We act like it in our business. We act like it in our home. We act like it in our neighborhood. We act like it in our own mind. We act like it when we argue with God. We act like it in the church. We, we, we act like it. But the reality is that <laughs> we're not God. He is. And when, when we forget or ignore that critical truth, then unity suffers. Unity in the gospel. Unity in the mission of Jesus Christ. Unity in theology. A second thing that we forget or ignore is, is that Jesus has a mission. Luke nineteen ten, the Son of God came to seek and to save those that are lost. That's Jesus' stated and mission. And, and, and I've heard, I've heard folks, uh, theologians and non-theologians. I've heard folks try to, to wash that away. My friends, you can't wash that away. Jesus is, is guided here in his word. It's who he is. That's his mission, to seek and to save those that are lost. We cannot forget or ignore that. When we forget or ignore that, then we're placing our own mission above his mission. Our preferences above his mission and unity in the gospel will we'll suffer. A third thing that we forget or ignore is that all people are created in the Imago Dei. All people, all people, around the world, throughout time, of all races, of all education levels, of all languages, and all religions, from the beginning till now, till time here is over. All are created in the image of God. Those that you love and those that you don't love, those that you hate, those that hate you and would like to take you down are created in the image of God. Our preference might be otherwise so that we would, ha- we would be justified in treating some as if they were dogs or cats. Our preferences have to be They have to take a back seat to Jesus and his gospel, his mission. Has to take a back seat to sound theology. The fourth thing that we forget or ignore that destroys our unity is we are, we forget or ignore that without salvation, without salvation, people, even though they're created in the image of God, will spend eternity, that's forever, in hell. Where the fire never goes out, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never ceases to eat on the body, where they are separated from fellowship with God forever. When we put our preferences above the mission of Jesus above the gospel of Jesus, upon, above sound theology, then we are forgetting these four basic truths. We have to let our theology, our understanding of the gospel, and Christ's mission be shaped by God. Not by our experiences, not by the latest blog post we read. They have to be shaped by, by God. Our unity cannot be shaped around, around politics, uh, around, around race, uh, around, around economy, around education. I mean, think about it. Just think about it. In, in this room, there are Republicans, and there are Democrats, and there are independents, and there's a fourth category that thinks you're all fools. I mean, because how can you, and, and, and there's those, that category that thinks you're all fools. Some of them are Republicans, some of them are Democrats, and some of them are independents, and some of them are nuns. We, we can't build unity, biblical Christian unity, around being a Republican or being a Democrat or being an independent. There are, there are great believers, great believers, great Christians with sound theology that take all of those positions. You've got to have unity built around something that's eternal, something that's stronger than our temporary political life of our temporary nation as great and awesome as our nation is. Jesus was here first, and he'll be here long after. We've got to have unity around something greater than that. We've got to have unity around something greater than race. Jesus has created every, every beautiful hue and color of skin. So beautiful. He's the one that has created There's got to be something that we build unity around that's greater than that. Our unity has to be built around God and God alone. And when we have our eyes fixed on Christ in humility, then unity happens. That's the second character quality that he gives us here. You see in verse 3 and verse 4, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your translation might say, "Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, or selfish ambition or vain conceit." A lot of different ways that that is put in the ESV or the NIV or the NASB or, or whatever version you have. The, 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 what it comes down to is humility. Nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition's great. Ambition's great. Uh, ambition to see the kingdom of God grow. Ambition to see uh, your children walk with Jesus. You know, am, ambition uh, to see your company grow. Ambition to see your, your, your neighbors flourish. Ambition, ambition's good. Nothing wrong with ambition. But selfish ambition is different. Selfish ambition says it's all about me. Selfish ambition is, is where rivalry comes up and says, I want what's mine and I also want what's yours. You see, selfish ambition wants to succeed at your expense that you would fail and I would succeed. So he's saying, put aside selfish ambition, put aside conceit. Conceit is that that self-centered ideal that says, I'm better, therefore I deserve more. Uh, Narcissism is another way to put that. Narcissism says I can get away with anything. The rules don't apply to me. I can cheat on my taxes because hey i'm me i can i can speed and get away with it because i'm me i don't have to i don't have to because i'm me the conceit narcissism says i'm more important than the community or than other individuals i'm more important than the whole he's he's saying do nothing out of those those type of um, loves of selfish ambition and vain conceit. He sets it in an opposition to something else. To in, in humility, consider others more important than yourself. He's not saying that you're not important. Nowhere in here does he say that. He says, consider others more important than yourself. So if you've got two coats and your brother doesn't have one, you give it to him. Consider others more important than yourself. You're important. But we cons- to consider others more important than yourself is is to help them and give them what, what they need that you have. It isn't thinking less of yourself, although you might need to do that. It is thinking of yourself less, and it is thinking of Christ more. It's thinking of yourself as Christ thinks of you, and the end, humility is thinking as Christ thinks. Let your thinking be the se- have the same mind as that which is in Christ Jesus. The same mind about yourself. Listen, God thinks a lot of you. Jesus calls you his brother, his sister, co-heirs in Christ. It doesn't get any greater than that. God the Father, the creator of all eternity, of all of of the universe, the creator of you, the creator of everything that is is good and glorious, the creator of of the very very dirt that you walked in here on. That, That God, that God calls you his son or his daughter if you have faith in Jesus Christ. God values you a lot. He gave up his only son to death, even death on a cross. Took out the wrath that was due to you and to me and laid it on a son. God thinks a lot of you, you are that valuable to Christ. God, the Father adores you and runs down the road after you. He has put the Holy Spirit in you. You are lacking in nothing. Humility lives within that. The idols of power, fame, and pleasure put that aside and say, I must have more. I want to be God. Give me more than that because that's not enough. Humility is not thinking you have all the right answers but that you might actually be wrong. No matter how passionate you are, you could be wrong. Humility is recognizing that, that we are finite and rather infinite, that we are human rather than God, that oftentimes, more often than not, we're contributors rather than the expert. I'm amazed how many experts have come out of the woodwork in the area of of epidemics over the last couple of years. We're not all experts. We're mostly contributors, that's okay. Humility is looking at the person with a much lower income than you and considering it a great honor to go to their house and sit at their table. And have a meal that they prepared instead of thinking, well, it would be a better honor and a higher honor for them to come sit at your table. Even if it means that they don't have a home and, and all you can do is sit on a park bench with them, it's an honor. Because you get to sit with someone that's created in the image of God. Humility says, I want to sit with them. Humility says, I want to hear someone else's life story. It's saying, how are you? Tell me your story. And then you shut up and listen. Just Listen. Humility says, I want to know what your musical preference is, and I'm not going to judge you for it. Humility considers others more important than yourself. Humility is not trying to force others into your mold or your preference of how stuff should happen, how families should live, how kids should be taught. I mean, in, in, this, in, in this church, we have people whose kids are in public school and people whose kids are in Private Christian schools and people whose kids are in private non-Christian schools and people whose kids are in a wide variety of homeschooling options and it's all okay. Humility and judging the others and saying my way's best and if you really loved your kid, if you really wanted to disciple your kid, you'd do it my way. Oh, come on! That type of power, and fame, and pleasure destroys the unity and is not of Christ. Humility moves us forward, builds bridges, and tears down walls. Humility also serves. That's the third character quality we find here. Look in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then in verse 7. Christ made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Death on a cross. The gap between God as God and um, God as Jesus the Son is significant. We have a far um, greater struggle to grasp that than probably anything else I see in Scripture. It isn't like there was an earthly king that became. Uh, a non-king human. It, it's God that has become man. It isn't. It isn't like um, Twain's novel, *The Prince and the Pauper*. You know, where you've got uh, Prince Edward and you've got the pauper uh, Tim Canty, and they switch places and they 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 learn how to live in the other world. It's not like that. That's just two humans that have switched places. And it's not like it's not like one of my favorites from *Lord of the Rings*, Aragorn, the king. You know, who before he was Aragorn the king, he's introduced to us as Strider the ranger, this, this dirty guy that needs a bath. You know, it's, it's not like that. This is a God, this is God who created everything and he's born through woman. He grows for nine months in the womb of a woman, a human that he had created. And then he's born as a human in the normal way. And without, without earthly fanfare or trumpets or doctors or nurses attending to his care, there is no palace. It's this God being born in that way and growing up as a, as a boy, as a, as a teenager with all of those struggles, growing so fast that he can't get enough food. You know, mama can't put enough food on the table for Jesus as he's growing because he's a normal boy. He knows what hunger is. He knows what it is to stump his toe. He knows all those things. He also knows what it is to be ridiculed, to be beaten, to be killed by the very ones he had made. There's that gap between being God and being that man, Jesus. That's what service is. It's that kind of sacrifice that kind of laying yourself aside for the good of someone else. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, we read that Jesus looked out on the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd, so he had compassion. He said that the The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his field. So then he did something about it. He saw the need, he had compassion, and he took action. Service sees people. A servant's heart sees need and has compassion and then takes action to have a servant's heart is more than just a list of do's, things that you're supposed to do. To have a servant's heart is to have a change of heart, a transformed soul. To be willing to suffer as Christ has suffered. It's to have the mind of Christ. What servanthood is Paul looking at here? Well, he's looking at a servanthood, the servant's heart that will put their own preferences aside and their own uh, hunger, personal hunger aside and their own power and fame and pleasure aside and serve others in the church, not only in the church, but outside the church. So what would that look like here? Well, it, it, it's, I like the acrostic joy. We, lo- we love acrostics around here, right? Uh, joy, Jesus, others, you. Jesus, others, you, joy. You look to Jesus first, but you look to others before you look to yourself and, and you serve You serve others in that way. It's more of an attitude and a lifestyle than it is a list of dues. It's not volunteering. We need to to kill that language. Volunteers are voluntary. Volunteers, they're not members. Okay? Members are different. I I, I would really love to see us do away with that and, and live as members. In my family, we have something on Saturday mornings called a clean team. It's amazing to me how kids sleep later and later and later as Saturday approaches, you know, Saturday morning. They get up early all week long and then they know clean team's coming Saturday morning and they roll over and go back to sleep. But when they do wake up, we have a family meeting, and and Sandy passes out the chores for the day. And we dive in. And no one's volunteering for that. We we all do it and we all chip in because we're we're family. That's what we do. You know, we clean our own rooms, but then we help each other clean the other rooms. I don't volunteer to vacuum the steps. I vacuum the steps because they're my steps. and because my wife gave me a piece of paper that said, you've got the steps. We do it because we're family. So we serve each other within the body of Christ here, not because we're volunteering, but because we're family. So when Bridget puts out a call that she needs more, more individuals to help care for our, our children, in the nursery or in elementary school and Sunday school, equip hour, we dive in. Not grudgingly as volunteers, because remember, volunteers are voluntary, but we, we do so gladly because we're, we're family, we're members. Or, or when Drew says, hey, we have some, and, and listen, Drew has built some phenomenal, gathered some phenomenal, I um, love these, these guys that, that come alongside our students. Well, Drew says, hey, I need more. Who wants, wants to come alongside as family members and help um, disciple our students? We jump in. We jump in. To, to, to serve as a, as a member of the body of Christ is, yeah, it's, it's spreading mulch when mulch needs to be spread. It's, it's you know, greeting people outside in the, in the back. It's cleaning up when a, a worship service is over. Maybe it's trimming trees and, and stuff like that. It's, it's shoveling snow. It's, It's delivering food. It's what happens uh, out out here with our West Annapolis pop-up pantry. It's it's giving, taking what we have and giving it to others, gifts of money, gifts of sitting and listening, gifts of food. It's giving someone Jesus by sitting and giving them eternal life. It's servanthood. But servanthood goes far beyond the church. It's blowing off your neighbor's driveway. It's opening the door for someone that's trying to get in their car with crutches. It's, it's giving someone groceries or carrying someone's groceries into their car. It's explaining to a, a young kid uh, at Woodside Gardens or somewhere what math is all about and why it matters. And it doesn't matter. It's teaching them how to read when they're struggling in school. And when, when you sit, when you sit with that kid, you change not just their half hour, you change their life. Because you're helping them step out of the shadows and giving them a a greater opportunity uh, for a successful life once they're out of school. You're you're helping them get through school. You're helping them graduate high school. Maybe giving them a chance at college and beyond. So when you sit and help that kid with math or reading, you give them love, but you you give them so much more. It's generational impact. To that generation and the generation beyond their kids and their kids and their kids' kids. You want to plug into that? See, see Lori uh, Nelson or Nancy Dybert, just I'm sure they can help plug you into those things. Being a servant's gonna cost you time. You might miss a game. So what? The game's not gonna change because you're not there. You might miss that, but you're giving away life. So this is a challenge. How does this all happen? Well, How do you live in this countercultural lifestyle? My friends, what we see here is that Jesus is more than an example. He is an example. When he says, have this mind amongst yourself, in in verse 5, which is yours in Christ Jesus, he he is saying, hey, Jesus is our example for what that looks like. But it's so much more than that. What, What theologians agree on is that this is more than just Jesus is our example. Look like this. It's saying that Jesus is in you. In the very first part of the passage in verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, you're not alone. It's not just that someone has said, hey, there's Jesus, look like that, like some great divine Mandalorian says, this is the way, go there. It's much more than that. Jesus is in you, positionally and in presence. Positionally, he's not looking at you as a sinner separated from God. If you've got faith in Christ, you're not a sinner separated from God. You're a co-heir with Jesus Christ. You're a son or daughter of the living God. Positionally, you're in Christ. You are loved by God forever and ever and ever, and nothing can take you out of his hand. You're in Christ positionally. But not just that, there's presence. To be in Christ, it's, it's more than just you and Jesus tracking in parallel tracks. It's more than just him being in the driver's seat and you being in the pastor's seat. That's not what it means to be in Christ. To be in Christ is more than just bumping up against Jesus on Sunday mornings or at a Renew group. It's more than just, even just clasping hands with Jesus like, hey, I've got your hand and you've got mine. It's much more than that. It's more that this Jesus is in you. He's in you. Like one hand inside another. The Holy Spirit is in you. You go nowhere that Christ does not go with you through the Holy Spirit. He is in you, and as Christ is in you, and that is the character of Christ, then that is to be our character as well. We're to live lives of unity, humility, and servanthood because God himself lives within us. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's how we travel that route up to that peak. It's not just where God has sent you. It's where God has called you. He said, come to me, and let's walk this way. It's who we are in Jesus. It is our, it is our nature. This, this very Christ who, though he was in the form of God, that is, we need to read that, who, who was God himself, not just in a form like a plastic mold or a jello mold, but he was in the form of God, took on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found in human form. Is all those things are, are real, real things. He is God. He God is a servant. He is a human. And he, so how do we follow him? Because he is in, he is all of that and he has all of that in us. God has called us to this peak of unity and humility and love filled service because that is the character of Jesus Christ. It's your divine design. It's how he's fixed you and made you. I, I love this time of year because I love sitting on my back deck as the cool temperatures come in and a, a, a warm, strong cup of coffee is so much better when the, the temperature is, you know, like 50 and you've got your Bible and the sun's coming up. It's just a, a cool time of day. And our deck's pretty high and it's surrounded by trees. And so these trees are full of birds. This time of year, there's all the birds that are migrating. They're coming from the north to the south. And so I get to hear and discover a whole new group of birds that I didn't know before. Yesterday, I came across a, a white-throated sparrow. It's a rare bird. don't you're not going to see it much Uh, i get to get to see it and hear it uh well because of the migration it's going from the north to the south it's just that's its design that's what it does you know why doesn't it uh you know come to october and the white throat sparrow says i'm leaving connecticut and i'm going to go north why would it right it's it's not created it's not designed to live in ice and snow and freezing temperatures it will die God has designed that white-throated sparrow to head south. And so that's what it does. And I get the pleasure of hearing its chirp and seeing this, this beautiful small bird with the yellow right above his eyes. Because that's its design. My friends, your design, your design is unity, humility, and servanthood in Christ. That's who we are. Christ has called us there. And he lives in us so that we might walk with him in that way. Will you pray with me? Father, we need your help in this. Thankfully, Lord, you have not left us alone. But, but as, as you told Jesus, you told your disciples, I must go so that I might send the comforter, comforter the counselor to be with you. Lord, you, you are in us if we, are, if we have faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, to help us in this. Help us to live in love as you've called us to live and to love. Father, if if there's anyone here this morning who's listened to this and they think this is really cool and I would love to live this way and I would love to have Jesus in me in that way, Lord, I pray that even now uh, they would just give it up. They would give it up to you and say, Lord, be my God. Make me whole, forgive me of my sin and help me to live as a believer in Jesus Christ for your glory and for our good, amen.